It's good to be in the house of the Lord together. Amen. I'm grateful for the time of worship that we've had already and uh, grateful to be in God's Word now. You can be opening your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4. Uh, final message in uh, this three-year-long intermittent look at Paul's letter to the church at Philippi. Grateful to uh, finish things up. And, and as you do prayed, it, it is Father's Day, of course. Uh, hope and pray that you take the time this afternoon uh, to be able to honor and, and bless uh, your dad, the fathers in your life. We don't make a really big deal about Mother's Day or Father's Day around here. That's for you uh, to honor the mothers and fathers in your life. But I do want to let you know uh, that on your behalf, we did uh, send gift cards to the single dads in our church family this week uh, to bless and encourage them. So uh, grateful for that, grateful for you, and, and grateful for the time that uh, we'll have together today. And grateful, like I said already, for our time in God's Word. Philippians 4, 14 to 23 is, is where we're going to be. I want to begin with uh, uh, a quote you may have heard before from a uh, famous pastor evangelist, his name was Billy Graham. He said this once, uh, give me five minutes in a person's checkbook and I'll tell you where their heart is. You might be sitting here being like, what's a checkbook? Uh, bank account, you can think about bank account. Give me five minutes in a person's bank account and I'll tell you where their heart is. Yes, as we come to this uh, final section, these final verses in Paul's letter to the Philippians, the final topic Paul has to write about is giving. And of course, I imagine that there's a wide array of feelings toward this kind of topic here in the room today. There's some of you who recognize that we here at Harvest, we preach the authority of God's word. We go verse by verse through the authoritative word of God. And so believe it or not, when I started this series three years ago, it was not because I thought you needed to hear something about money. This is just next in line. And thanks be to God for that. Then there are some of you here who, who might be uncomfortable with the fact that we're talking about money today. You'd rather talk about your political stance or your most recent medical procedure than you would about money. Some of you might be here thinking that the only reason I'm bringing this up today is to elevate my own personal standard of living, which could not be further from the truth. However you may be feeling about the topic this morning, the Bible talks about finances and money over 2,000 times and it is a critical part of our walk with Christ. And I believe that Billy Graham had Jesus' words in mind when he said that quote that I referenced off the top, probably Matthew 6.13, where Jesus himself said, Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Which is exactly what Paul gets at in these final words of Philippians chapter 4, verses 14 to 23. Our giving the attitude with which we give, the heart with which we give, affects our proximity to God, has an impact on the passion with which we pursue Him. And as we'll see this morning, there is deep and abiding joy, supernatural delight to be found when my giving honors God. Let's turn our attention to the text, Philippians 4, starting in verse 14 to the end of the letter. Follow along with me as I read. This is God's word to us this morning. The apostle writes, yes, it was, yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you, Philippians yourselves, know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. 
I have received full payment and more. I'm well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. My giving honors God when it is done. Like I said already, four ways that we'll see the way that our giving can honor God. My giving honors God when it's done first out of gospel partnership out of gospel partnership. Now, before we dive into our, our, our verses here this morning, let me remind you of the context. We looked at the verses preceding our passage this morning last week, but particularly in, in verses 11 to 13, Paul passionately unpacked the fact that he was not dependent on the financial gift that the Philippians sent him. But he knew how to be content no matter what because his complete and ultimate dependence was on Jesus Christ. We talked about that last week. But not wanting to sound ungrateful, not, not wanting for his, his comments in verses 11 to 13 to be misinterpreted, Paul goes on to say in verse 14, yet, yet, in spite of all that I have just said, it was kind of you to share my trouble. I didn't need your gift. I, I didn't need the financial, the financial gift that you sent me, but, but it was kind of you to send it to me anyway. Paul is saying, you did well in sending this gift. You, you did well in supporting me while I was imprisoned. He's commending the fact that by virtue of their gift of support, the Philippians shared in his struggle. It's a wonderful part of Christian fellowship that we have the opportunity to share in each other's struggles, to support one another in times of difficulty, to share each other's burdens. We've talked about that already in this series. Like the Philippians did out of love for Paul, we can support one another. We can share in each other's troubles, a wonderful thing for sure. They had sympathy toward Paul and what he was dealing with. But this gift was also indicative of something greater, not only did the Philippians show sympathy to Paul in the thing that he was dealing with that was difficult for him, but they were sticking their neck out for him. This was no small thing for them to support someone who was imprisoned because of the preaching of the gospel. This had risks that could come back on them. This gift that they gave to Paul, as he goes on to say, was indicative of the greater partnership that existed between him and these believers, this church. Their gift was an identification with him in his struggles out of their deep love for him, and it was also an indication of the partnership that they had with Paul in his gospel work, which revealed their own commitment to the gospel. Paul's mission, of course, was to, was to spread the good news of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles. He was going with, with the wonderful news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, come in the flesh, died, crucified, was buried, and rose to new life on the third day. And the Philippians had received that themselves. They believed in that mission that Paul was going on, and they supported that by virtue of their giving. They partnered with Paul in that. And these verses go on to say that they, they, they partnered with Paul from the very beginning. Look back down to verse 15. 
And you, Philippians, yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, that Philippi's in Macedonia, that's what he's talking about there, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Verse 16, even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. After Paul left Philippi, Macedonia, which is where the Philippian church was located, he, he went to Thessalonica right afterwards. He's in Philippi in Acts 16. He's, he goes right to Thessalonica in verse 17. And the financial support from the Philippians came to him right away. I mean, they were, they were a fledgling church plant. They had just been at this for a few weeks Paul and, and his crew had just left and they were already supporting him financially. They had already embraced the responsibility that they had of giving and receiving as gospel partners. I mean, this idea completely gets rid of the notion that we have to be mature enough in Christ in order to start giving. That we need to be this tall in our Christian walk before we can start giving to the church. Philippians gave right away. They gave to him immediately. They were, they were partners in the gospel work that Paul was going after from the first day until now, he says in chapter 1, verse 5. You're model givers, Paul says to this church. Not just giving one time, but doing it once and again, and, and he, they were the only ones, he says. There were other churches further along in their growth and development who had received the benefit of Paul's gospel work and pastoral care who were not giving. Not the Philippians. David Garland in his commentary writes, as he, Paul, served the Philippians sacrificially, they have given to him sacrificially but all in the greater course of serving the gospel. See, the Philippian church understood the reality that as Paul came to them in the name of Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit and preached the good news of the gospel to them, fulfilling the mission and mandate that he'd received from Jesus Christ, which resulted in their salvation and forgiveness and was done at his own peril. Remember, he went to prison in Philippi for preaching the gospel. And the work that he was doing there, this church understood that the proper response as those who had received, as those who were called to be partners with him, co-laborers in the mission, that's what Paul calls them, co-laborers, not just volunteers in an organization. They were standing side by side, arm in arm with him in the pursuit of the advancement of the gospel. Their responsibility was to give to the gospel work that was happening. Because what we need to see here and what Paul is getting at is the fact that there is a direct relationship between gospel partnership and financial giving. If you have received, you give. Generously and sacrificially out of what you have. And by the way, the Philippian church didn't have a lot. Paul, Paul uses them as an example in his second letter to the Corinthians, chapter 8, verses 1 to 3. He says this, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. That's the Philippians. For in a severe test of affliction, 
Their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed into a wealth of generosity on their part. Do you see that? The abundance of joy that they have at receiving the transforming reality of the good news of Jesus Christ. And what does Paul say? And, and, and their poverty, their extreme poverty, those two things have overflowed into more generous giving. They didn't hunker down. They weren't like, yeah, we're not going to give just yet. We, we got we to make sure that we've established some stuff. We got to make sure that our savings are in the right place. We got to make sure our retirement's ready to go. We got to make sure our kids are good to, to go to college. They gave. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, Paul says. And then he goes on, and beyond their means of their own accord. It wasn't that a compulsion. They gave generously and sacrificially out of the abundance of the joy that comes from the reality of the good news of Jesus Christ plumbing into the depths of your heart and an understanding of the core mission that we have as followers of Jesus, which is to see the gospel go forth. The Philippians are model partners. Their giving revealed the level of concern that they have for the gospel going forth. They put their money where their mouth is. They put skin in the game. Out of a right view of the mission that they have as part of the body of Christ, the family of God, they gave right away and gave generously so that more people could know about Jesus the more people could receive what they had received because their gift freed Paul up to go about his ministry work without being a burden on the new church plants that would have been formed, without having to take time out of working for the gospel to do something else in order to provide for the needs that he had to pay for his travel or his supplies. He could go and do what he was called to do, what he was empowered to do, what he was gifted to do without the burden of need could use their gift however he was led to further the mission. Unfortunately, many believers in many churches are living out consumerism rather than partnership. To receive the benefits of good and godly and God-honoring gospel ministry and to not give is being a customer, not a partner. We can't be freeloading, burdensome believers. It is a privilege and responsibility that we have to be able to give out of our finances, most certainly, that's the context here, but out of our energy and out of our effort and out of our time and out of our possessions and out of our gifts so that more people can experience the gospel being proclaimed. I mean, that, that is the purpose that we're here, isn't it? God help us if this just becomes some nice and comfortable thing that we just come and be a part of and that we're just served every single week but is not a sending place for mission but does not fire you up in the Holy Spirit to go out into all of the different contexts that you will find yourself in every single week and recognize that you are a partner in the gospel. 
privilege and responsibility to be able to give. And how and where and how generously we give indicates the depth that the gospel has plumbed into your heart. 2 Corinthians 8 goes on to tell, I've referenced the verse, verses 1 to 3 already, but 2 Corinthians 8 goes, goes on to tell us of the fact that Jesus Christ, who was rich, became poor for our sake so that we could become rich in Him. So how do we, if we have that reality, seek to do anything but pour out what we have been given to Him for the advancement of the gospel? Because all we have, all we have been given is from him. The Philippians demonstrated that they understood God's working in the world and their own personal benefit from that, and they willingly supported the continuing of God's work through God's servants, and so should we. There's a story that's been well told. Perhaps you've heard me tell it. I, I've, I've told it a bunch. Perhaps you've heard it elsewhere. But in 1962, uh, President John F. Kennedy was touring the brand new NASA space station. As he was touring around, he, he met a man who was sweeping the floor. He was part of the, the janitorial team there. And, and being the good and personable president that he was, he went up to the man and said, Hi, I'm Jack Kennedy. What do you do here? And the man looked at him dead in the eye and said, I'm putting a man on the moon, Mr. President. See, that man knew that his contribution was for something so much greater he knew that what he was doing was bigger than himself, and that is the reality of what our giving to the mission signifies. When you put your money in an envelope and drop it in the boxes at the back of the room, or when you send an e-transfer, or when you pay through online banking, or when that money is automatically taken out of, the, out of your account every week or every two weeks, you are partnering in gospel work. You're helping more people get saved. Because when you get the gospel, you give. It should be a natural result. Freely we've been given, freely we give. Because God is a giver. And we're like Him when we give. For God so loved the world that He what? Gave. So is your giving done out of this kind of a partnership mindset? Do you give willingly and sacrificially of your resources, your finances, certainly as we've talked about, that's the primary context here, but also your time, your possessions, your giftings for the advancement of the gospel as the primary calling of your life, or are you giving out of compulsion? Is your giving financial or otherwise conditional? Are there things that you are not willing to give or not willing to hold loosely to give to the Lord for the gospel work? Would you be willing to pray about that? Again, not wanting Paul's motives to be misunderstood as, as a request for more, he goes on to clarify the motivation that he has for expressing this gratitude. And it is, again, not for the benefits that he might get, but it's for the benefits that giving generously brings to the giver, which leads to us, secondly, my giving honors God when it is done out of a desire for gospel growth. Look down at verse 17. Paul says, he clarifies, not that I seek the gift, 
It's not about the money for me, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. You want, you want, to, know, you want to know what fires me up? Paul's saying, you want to know what charges me up? You, know what I get? you want, to know, want to know what gets me excited? It's not what I get, but it's what you get, Philippians, from your gift. It comes from you, or what comes to you when you are generous. And there's, there's so much financial language in the original, in the original text in these verses. If you, if you have an ESV Bible with you, I want you to note the other translation that comes at the bottom or maybe in the middle of your, of your Bible, of your page. That word credit could also be translated account. So the verse could also read, I seek the profit that accrues to your account. See, Paul's, Paul's main focus here is the benefit, the profit, the good fruit that comes to the Philippians when they give generously. He is seeking, his goal in writing this letter, in the ministry that he pursued for them, is, is to see the evidence that the tree of their faith has good roots in good soil and is growing by the work of the Spirit in the transforming realities of the gospel coming to bear in their lives and is bearing righteous fruits. That's what Paul wants to see. Paul, Paul is not advocating here for, for, some, for some prosperity gospel idea. He, he's, not, he's not asking for these gifts. He's not expressing gratitude so that his own riches could increase. This is not a get-rich-quick scheme for Paul. He doesn't want a private jet. He doesn't want a 20,000-square-foot mansion. This is not some name it and claim it type of understanding. He's not saying in any of this that God promises to make the Philippians rich. But what he is saying is that this giving represents the realities of the gospel coming to bear in who they are and what they do. Paul longs for good spiritual fruit to come in the lives of the Philippians. And listen, that's what we want. That's what I want for you. Pray desperately this week that you would see from me that this is not because I have some sort of agenda or ulterior motive, but because I want to see the fruit of this truth come to bear in my life and yours. Because our giving has to be out of a desire for gospel growth. And, And there's three wonderful things that we see specifically that come to us when we give out of hearts of generosity and seeking gospel growth. The first thing that we see is this. When we give for gospel growth, we get. Hold on a second, Jordan. Does that jive with what you've just said? Bear with me here for a second, okay? God gives to those who give, not to make us ultimately healthy or wealthy. He might. That's his, his, that's his prerogative. God may choose to do that, but that's not our motivation. But God gives, uh, gives to us so that we can give more. We have the privilege of being the conduits, the channels of God's generosity to the world. Okay, prove it. Chapter and verse, George. I got gotcha. you. 2 Corinthians 9, 10 to 12. Ready? He, God, who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food, will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. God is our heavenly father by which every good and perfect gift comes. 
He is the one that promises to give to us the seed that we're sowing, the the opportunities to be able to advance the gospel, the depth of the truth of the gospel that plums into our lives that we may give it out to others as well. If, If God has solved our greatest problem in forgiving us of our sins and cleansing us from all unrighteousness and bringing us into his family, do we not also trust him for the fact that he is gonna give us our most basic needs? Paul goes on to say, you'll you'll be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. What a wonderful thing. When you give, God promises to enrich that you may give more, that that would abound in thanksgiving to God and praise to him. For the ministry of this service is not not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. When we Excuse me, when we give, we get. It's up to God what those things are that we get, but he gives them to us so that we can give more and thanksgiving may be increased to God all the more. We're given so that we can love and support and care for one another. To, like the Philippians, share in the sufferings of one another. To work alongside one another in the advancement of the gospel. To be generous to each other. To encourage and love on one another that God may be praised. And Charles Spurgeon once said, in all my years of service to the Lord, I have discovered a truth that has never failed and has never been compromised. That truth is that it is beyond the realm of possibilities that one has the ability to outgive God. Even if I give the whole of my worth to him, he will find a way to give back to me much more than I gave. Jesus says in Luke chapter six, give and it will be given to you for the measure you use it will be measured back to you. God does promise to give when we give graciously and generously so that we may be able to give even more. And that's the second thing that we see about about giving for gospel growth is that when we give, we receive greater responsibility and opportunity. We are stewards of what we have been given. We are called to use the things that we have been given by God faithfully and well for his glory and good purpose. And when we use those things faithfully, graciously, generously, sacrificially, recognizing that they have all come to us from the Lord, we get more opportunity. Jesus gives us the example of this in Matthew chapter 25, the parable of the talents. The master says to the servant who has been faithful with what he has been given, verse 21, his master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter the joy of your master. When we're faithful in giving back to God out of what we have been given tangibly and practically for others in gospel-centered relationship with gospel growth for them and for us as our motivation, God gives us more chances to continue to be faithful and bear fruit that leads to a greater harvest for greater thanksgiving and glory to God. He does so in this life, most certainly, but then as this verse talks about specifically, he does so in the next as well. Which leads us to the third wonderful thing that we see is that we give because we're promised an eternal reward. That's, that is specifically what is filling up in the Philippians account that Paul says here in verse 17. Rewards in heaven. It's not sinful, it's, it's not selfish in any way 
to give with a heavenly reward in mind. Jesus commends that. Matthew 6, 3 and 4, but when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. And then notice, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. When you give generously out of a heart of gospel partnership, out of a longing to see gospel growth in your own life, you are laying up treasures in heaven. And as citizens of heaven, is, is that not our focus? The moment you receive Christ as your Lord and Savior, your citizenship transfers from this world to the next. What purpose do we have amassing things for us here? What good does it do us? Pastor and author Randy Alcorn once said that, that you can't take anything with you, but you can pass it forward. Our giving reveals the deeper reality of, of spiritual transaction taking place. When you give generously to others, to ministries, to the church, your giving is working to increase the effects of the gospel in your own life. And that's what fired up Paul the most. That's what he was pumped about, about what was going on with the Philippians. We give so that God may grow us, so that he might deepen our understanding and passion for gospel truth coming to bear in us, and so that his glory may be made much of, most of, in our lives. Which leads to this thirdly, that my giving honors God when it is done out of a heart that worships God. My giving honors the Lord when it is done out of a heart of worship. We see in verse 18, Paul, Paul switched gears from, from using mainly financial metaphors to, to actually speaking with Old Testament metaphors, specifically the, the language that was used of the sacrifices that God had required for his people in Old Testament times. And, and the description that we see, the way that Paul described giving is incredible in verse 18. Look at it again. I've received full payment and more, he says. I'm well supplied having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. And here it is a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. This, this church has, has, has cared well for Paul. He does not need anything else from them. He's well supplied from their gifts, does not need any more. They've generously cared for him. There is no longer an obligation for them to give toward him. He's been paid in full. And notice again, this, this kind of threefold, this kind of almost triangular way that Paul expresses his gratitude. He, he, he thanks God for the Philippians gift in front of them. He says he, he's grateful for this gift that has well supplied him, which causes him to worship the Lord in front of them. Because the gift that you give to the Lord, when you give it to others, when you give it to ministries, when you give it to the church, of your finances, of your time, of your energy, of your gifts, whatever it is, it is ultimately worship. When we give to the work of gospel ministry, we are worshiping God. The almighty Lord of all creation looks down on your giving and receives it as worship toward him. It, it, it is a sacrifice that you give to him. 
in Leviticus, as, as God is, is instructing his people on the rudiments of worship, as he's giving them a, 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 the way that he, as a holy God, longs to and, and receives worship, he says over and over again, as, as specifically he's describing the rituals by which sacrifices are to come, he says that when an offering is burnt on the altar to God, it is a pleasing aroma. Like coffee in the morning. Like bacon cooking on a Saturday. Like freshly cut grass. Barbecue wafting in the summertime. Yeah, I know that's ministering to you. I can, I can sense that. That's the way our giving pleases God. When you drop your offering in the boxes on a Sunday, when you open up your banking app to give to the church, it smells good to the Lord. Gracious, sacrificial giving from a loving and willing heart pleases Him. It is, it is a fragrant offering. It is, it is a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Yes, we can please God. Yes, our giving does please the Lord. So do you view it as such? Or does your giving come with stipulations? Conditions? I'll give as long as. Pastor and author Ed Cole once said, after giving something to God, you are no longer accountable for it. Your blessing is based on your giving, not on what others do with it. Our works and worship of God are enjoyable to his sight, but only so if they're done in faith. We must give out of worship to God if we are in Christ. As Hebrews eleven six 6 says, And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So as those who have been justified, who have been declared righteous in the sight of God through faith in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who came in human flesh, was crucified for our sins, bore the weight of the wrath of God, died and was buried, rose to new life on the third day, and as those indwelt with the Holy Spirit, following after and living in the active and living and authoritative word of God, we can please God when we offer our gifts gifts to him in worship. And I hope that those things that I just said that are yours in Christ, if you have faith in him, those very quick things that encapsulate a lifetime's worth of understanding and plumbing the depths of the beauty of, I hope that stirs you to want to offer to the Lord. I hope the good news of the gospel stirs your heart to say, that as I've been given much, so I will give much. I hope that the gospel stirs you to give out of the abundance of worship that you have in your heart for what God has done for you. Because honestly, that's the only thing that will. So my question for you in this point is, 
Are you offering your money in worship to the Lord, or are you offering your worship to your money? One pastor I know said, money is a tool. It's a good tool, but it's a terrible master. So if money is an idol in your life today, one way to break you of that is to give. Jesus says in Luke 12, watch out, you might be greedy. Be careful, money can rule your heart so quickly, whether you have it or don't. The heart that we must have in our giving is to worship God because of all that he has done for us. Apart from God's grace in the gospel, we won't give. So if God has changed you, if pleasing him is the aim of your life, if you claim that to be the aim of your life, then please him by giving. Out of all that he has given to you, And he has given us much, hasn't he? That leads us to this finally. My giving honors God when it's done out of God's glorious provision. My giving honors God when it's done out of God's glorious provision. Listen to this promise that we see in verse 19. And my God, Paul says, my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. God has all I need for my needs. He has all you need for your needs. Again, this is not some, you know, name it and claim it verse. God promises to supply all of our needs, not all of our greeds. He will give us what we need to seek the knowledge of his will. He will supply not just the material things that we need, but he will supply the spiritual things that we need. God will care for us. He will give us that which we need, which he knows better than we do. How? According to the riches of his glory. What a statement. He will provide out of the fact that he doesn't lack glory. Out of the absolute abundance of his otherness, he gives us all that we need. I mean, do you trust the fact that the ability that God has to care for you comes from the fact that the storehouses of his his awesomeness will never run out? His riches are inexhaustible. God is infinitely and ultimately and wonderfully glorious in all he is and all that he does. And it's out of the riches of that that he promises to provide for us. And as he does, God gets more glory. When he provides for our needs wonderfully, he gets more glory. Any of you who have been in a place of need who have seen God come through in an incredible way, perhaps miraculously, perhaps miraculously through someone else, you know that that is a reason for you to glorify God all the more, do you not? Does it not make you stand back and say, thank you, Lord. You are awesome and wonderful. 
His riches are inexhaustible. And he exalts himself by caring for us out of the abundance of what he has naturally in himself. Do you believe that? I mean, we think, we think we need food, water, shelter, people, or deeper metaphysical stuff like, like morality or, or, or creativity or purpose or whatever else you might want to put in there. And in one sense, we do need those things, and God knows that. But our ultimate, lead, our ultimate need is more of God and his unique qualities. And as we receive more of him, so we see him provide for us in incredible ways. And that frees me to give. That frees me to give generously and sacrificially, recognizing the reality that everything I have, the breath in my lungs, the family that surrounds me, the church I'm a part of, the gospel that saved me, the results of the work of my hands, all of it from the hand of God, out of the abundant riches of his glory. promises for those, Paul says, who are in Christ Jesus. Those of us who have had the greatest problem of our lives taken care of. And as I said again already, I'll say again. I've said before already, I'll say again. Do you believe that if God has taken care of your greatest need in forgiveness, in salvation, in redemption, in justification, is he also not a God who is loving enough to care for the practical needs that you need every day? Give us this day our daily bread, Jesus called us to pray. The God who provides for the flowers of the field and the the birds of the air cares more so for you. Will he not provide for you also? Has he not provided for you also? If I've been saved by God through Christ, then I have the promise of God's glorious provision, and in that I have all that I need. And it's in thinking of that that causes Paul to rejoice and to praise God for his goodness as he ends this portion of the letter by saying wonderfully, to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Henry Drummond, a Scottish evangelist who lived in the 1800s, once said, The most obvious lesson in Christ's teaching is that there is no happiness in having or getting anything, but only in giving. The entirety of ourselves is meant to be given to God for his glory, which when that happens, we have the incredible promise and privilege of seeing God provide for our needs all the more as he opens our eyes to see more of him. And there is deep and abiding joy to be found in giving as God calls us to and the incredible promises that come in our lives as a result. When our giving financially and otherwise is done out of gospel partnership, out of a desire for gospel growth, out of a heart that worships God and gives back out of God's glorious and ultimate provision, he promises us all we need. And ultimately, that's more of him. 
And that's where we see above all the joy that God wants to unleash in our lives is living for him in all that we are, in all that we do, in living our lives for his glory in every aspect. So that, along with the Apostle Paul, we could say over everything that we are and do, and feel free to say it along with me as it comes up on the screen. To our God and Father, be glory forever and ever. Amen. Let me pray for us. Holy and righteous and glorious Heavenly Father, we cry out in abundant gratitude for all that you have provided for us. Truly, truly, Lord, we are a blessed people. And forgive us, Lord, for the ways that we have been clouded in our vision, in our understanding, that these blessings are somehow things that we deserve. That the good things that we enjoy in our lives are things that we have earned. All of our lives in every aspect are evidences of your glorious grace and goodness. You have provided for us in wonderful and miraculous ways. And forgive us, Lord, for seeking to amass for ourselves possessions, wealth, things in this life. Not being willing to graciously and willingly give everything to you sacrificially and generously as you have given sacrificially and generous to us. So we pray this morning that you would encourage those who are giving out of their means and beyond their means, like the Philippians were. We pray this morning that you would challenge those who have had their eyes fixed on this world to get their eyes fixed on heaven if they're in you, to recognize they are citizens of the earthly or the heavenly kingdom to come, not the earthly one which will pass away. Help all of us, Lord, to be seeking to lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven. And Father, for those here who don't know you, I pray that this morning you would have been working by your spirit to see the way that you have been so generous and wonderful and gracious to us. That they would turn from their ways of sin and wickedness and turn to you to receive what only you can give. And God, what you have offered us is joy, deep and unending, everlasting and supernatural, no matter what we face in this life, in who you are, in what you've done, in the church you're building, in the gospel that has saved us and you've called us to proclaim to the world. So help us in that pursuit, Lord, we pray. Deepen our joy in you, that we may live our lives different, that this would be a place that looks different from the world around us, that we would be people that look different from the world around us so that people would see it and be attracted to you as they see you live in and through us. And in all of this we say, to you alone be glory, our God and our Father, the Lord of all, creator and sustainer. We glorify and magnify you in this place. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.